Well, this morning we are continuing with our sermon series on parables that are difficult in some way, either difficult to understand or difficult in some way to put into practice, or maybe a combination of the two. This one, I would suggest, is relatively easy to understand what's going on. The story itself is fairly self-explanatory, and we can kind of see what's going on in that story. But what the parable says, and how we should be transformed and live as a result, is incredibly, incredibly difficult. In essence, the story says that this king is outrageously merciful, outrageously forgiving upon this servant. And yet this servant is disgracefully unmerciful to his fellow servant. It is all about forgiveness. Us forgiving those who have sinned against us. And that's really, really difficult. So this morning we need to be sensitive to one another. We need to ensure that when we go through this and when it might dig up some pain within us, that we give that to the Lord so that we can be transformed, so that we can live as this parable tells us to live. But be sensitive with one another. We all have different things going on, different ways people have hurt us in the past. So in that vein, I'm going to pray and then we're going to delve into the story together. Lord, I pray that this morning you show us how we can be more like you. Show us how we can forgive those who have sinned against us. And Lord, when that digs up hurts from our past... Lord, may we be able to just hand that to you, give that to you, and ask for your healing touch upon our lives. Lord, challenge us this morning, but be sensitive with us as well. In your name, amen. So the parable doesn't actually start with that story. The story is a consequence of Peter asking Jesus a question. The question is this. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. In essence, Peter is saying, how often... Should I forgive somebody? Because it's really difficult to forgive someone even once. But do I forgive someone twice or three times or four times and so on? And you can kind of understand why Peter asks this question because of this set of uh, rabbinic literature. So Jewish literature This is out at the time. It says this. If a man sins once, twice or three times, then forgive him. If he sins a fourth time, then you are not to forgive him. So Peter's being really generous, isn't he? 
You can kind of imagine Peter there knowing that we can forgive someone three times and saying in his mind, all right, I'll double it and add a little bit more. Jesus, should we forgive seven times? Because, you know, I'm that generous in my forgiveness. And then you can sort of almost see the situation where Jesus shoots him down and says, no, not only seven times should you forgive, but 77 times. Now, to clarify, that's not a literal 77 times. It's not like we get our little book out and like, all right, you're close. You're on 70. You've only got a few more left. It is rhetoric that Jesus uses, a sort of a teaching method where actually it's not 78 times and then you stop forgiving someone. It is forgive someone always. There is no number that we should not forgive somebody if they have sinned against us. And I get that that is really, really tough. Uh, Hannah is an amazing wife to me, and I'm not just saying that because she's sat over there, but she so often has to forgive me. Uh, We love having people around for dinner and uh, sharing in people's lives and getting to know them. And I often also have lunch meetings with people. And so often I will say to Hannah at sort of three, four o'clock, darling, what what are we having for tea when so-and-so is coming round? Excuse me? Who, who's coming round? Oh, did I forget to mention that I've invited so-and-so round? She then turns to me and says, Well, Simon, what are you cooking for us for dinner tonight? Similarly, uh, with this job, you have various evening meetings and things, and we'll be bathing the kids, and then I'll say, Right, I'm going now. And Hannah will say, Hang on, where are you going? Oh, I've got a meeting about X, Y, and Z, which I haven't communicated to Hannah. And she's thinking that we're going to have a lovely romantic evening together, and then that is shattered by my meeting. Hannah has to forgive me. And I guarantee, guarantee that has happened more than 77 times, <laughs> literally, honestly. But in essence, we are to forgive Abundantly, Hannah has to forgive me abundantly for those failures and all my other ones. And Jesus is saying, we are to forgive. And he makes this point by telling this story. And do follow it with me if you wish. We're on page 986. This is verse 23 of Matthew 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. Now, just a slight technicality here. When it says servant, it doesn't make sense to think of that servant as a sort of a slave in the king's household. You need to picture this like a government official or um, a governor or maybe sort of a chief tax collector. The, the monetary terms, well, in essence, the monetary terms don't actually make sense at all. But the monetary terms don't make sense if we view this person as a slave Imagine it like a governor. Because in essence, if you're the king, everyone below you is your servant. Verse 24. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Let's talk about money for a moment. 10,000 talents is more money than was 
inconceivable at that time. One day's wage for a standard worker in a vineyard, a standard sort of builder, would have been one denarii. One talent is 10,000 denarii. And we've got a debt here of 10,000 talents. So let's just do the maths. It's 10,000 times 10,000 days labour of a standard worker at that time. In essence, 100 million days work. Are we, I felt like there was, should have been a bit more of a reaction there. Like, whoa, that's a lot. This is a lot. A lot of money. It puts it into more perspective when you hear this as well. An average slave was sold for about 500 denarii. And this is what one commentator wrote, which is very interesting. But certainly for me anyway, I'm a bit of a geek though. The annual income of Herod the Great was not more than 900 talents. And the whole of Galilee and Perea only paid 200 talents tax in the year 4 BC. And Jesus is saying this debt is 10,000 talents. It's a sort of a laughable hyperbolic um, language that Jesus is using. This guy is in debt in more money than is actually in circulation at the time when Jesus is telling the story. In modern money, it's $140 billion. Thanks, Ben, for Googling that. Great. More than we owe the European Union. Correct. Yes, that's scary, isn't it? This is a massive, massive figure of money. Okay? A massive figure of money. The story continues. Since he was not able to pay the master, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had sold, be sold to repay the debt. I mean, that's Jesus' sort of sarcasm. Because... He's never going to be able to pay this debt. That is the point. He's never going to be able to pay this debt, even if he sells all of his family and all of his possessions. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begs, and I will pay you everything. Again, never going to happen. He doesn't have that much money. The servant's master took pity on him and cancelled the debt. Think about that for a moment. This governor is not asking the king to wipe the debt clean. The governor is simply asking for more time to pay this debt, which he will never be able to pay, but he's still asking for that. And yet the king, who is out of pockets by more money than is inconceivable to our minds, says... Don't worry about it. I will wipe that debt clean from you. You are a free man, free of this debt. The overwhelming nature of the king goes beyond the plea of the governor. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing of what this king does? Just start thinking about who the king might be before I give the punchline away. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So a hundred days labour. Again, don't view this as 
a slave of this governor's household, view it as a kind of a minor official, someone who may be slightly lesser than him in terms of hierarchical rankings, but not too much. And again, think about this governor. He's going to be fairly wealthy, so a hundred denarii isn't going to be that much. Yes, it's vaguely significant, but it's not as if it is a massive amount of money. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I will pay you back. Now that debt is realistic, that one could pay that back. But notice how this minor official says the same words that the governor has literally just used to the king and the overwhelming mercy shown to the governor by the king, but yet the disgraceful unmercy shown by him. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debts. This guy shows absolutely no mercy. This guy has just been released of a debt that is inconceivable. Imagine that. Imagine if you are in that much debt and then someone just says, you're free. You would have a real weight lifted from you, wouldn't you? You would be walking on air. You would feel so light. And yet, this guy bumps into someone and he thinks, you owe me a small amount of money. And how extreme his reaction is to that. It is a million to one if you do the maths. He's been let off a million of whatever currency you want to use. And this guy owes him one of that currency. The contrast is meant to be so great We are meant to think about how generous the king is and how ungenerous this guy is. Not surprising, when the other servants saw this, uh, what happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that happened. And the master called the servant in, you wicked servants, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay it back. The king cancels the remission of his debts and says, You are now going to be tortured and put in prison for the remaining of your life to repay this debt. But even that, even the whole of this guy's life, will never pay the debt. So in essence, the master is saying, for eternity, you will be tortured and punished in order to pay your debts. This is not a rhetorical question. Who is the king in our story? Yeah, God, Jesus. Jesus is saying, I am this king. And you, me, our debt to Christ is so great that we will never be able to comprehend what that looks like. Our debt to him is that 10,000, 10,000 days wage to him. Our sin is so great that if we were to repay it back, we would be tortured 
for eternity. Yet, Jesus, like the king in this story, says to us, your debt is wiped clean. Your debt, however great it is, you are wiped clean. Hallelujah, Fred, yes. Hallelujah. We are set free from this most amazing amount of debt that we owe Christ, which we could be in hell for eternity for. Yet Jesus comes and he saves us. This is the gospel message. This is why we come to church today. Never forget that. Never forget why we come and praise our King. But yet, who are we? If Jesus is the king in this story, who are we? We are that servant, that official. We have been wiped clean. Our debt has gone. We live a free life, living in the freedom that Christ lavishly pours upon us. And yet, we find it so tough, sometimes impossible, to forgive others. Yet we have been forgiven everything. We find it so difficult to forgive others. If we have been forgiven, showered in forgiveness, why is it that we don't forgive our neighbour, for example? Just let that ponder for a second. If we have had such forgiveness showered upon us, why is it that we don't forgive our neighbour? The other night, um, I was trying to drive out of our drive and someone blocked me in. If you know where we live, we live on St Peter's Road. It's quite a long drive down to our house, but someone had blocked us in. They're in the St Peter's Church. And I stormed in and said, excuse me, someone has blocked my drive. Because I'm thinking, I'm on my way to Alpha, and I'm going to be late. And I need to, at Alpha, show the love of Jesus to everybody who comes. Guests are coming, and they want to explore who Jesus is. And I need to show them grace. I need to show them love. I need to proclaim the gospel to them. I storm in. This lady is there. She says, oh, sorry, I thought I'd left you enough room. I did not respond because my response would have been irrelevant, love. You still blocked my drive. So I just said nothing. She then walks out with me. She sort of runs slightly. I didn't say slow down. It's all right. I almost wanted to sort of kick her to get her be a bit quicker. She then says, oh, I am really, really sorry about it. At which point, I should have said, it's okay, don't worry, these things happen. But at that point, I again said nothing and just got in my car and revved my engine. (laughs) Did I show forgiveness to my neighbour? No, of course I didn't. How wrong was I to do that? How wrong was I to do that? If we have had such forgiveness showered upon us, why is it that we don't forgive our work colleagues? You know, when we're doing teamwork together and we put forward an idea 
and then our sort of middle manager boss takes that idea, presents it to the CEO, and he or she gets all our credits. That's really frustrating when that happens, isn't it? When people squash on our achievements in order for them to achieve further. We have been so forgiven of our stuff, our sin, yet we find that so difficult to forgive others. This is a tough one. If we have had such forgiveness showered upon us, why is it that we don't forgive our families? Why is it that we don't forgive our siblings, our children, our parents, our spouses? And you could shout back to me, yes, but you don't know what they have done. You don't know how hurtful they have been with what they have said and what they have done to me. And you are 100% right. So often when we think about the things that we should forgive, we think in earthly terms. That sin that they did is unforgivable for many of our worldly friends. But yet we are called to live differently. We are called to live a radical lifestyle that mirrors Jesus. That when people look at us, they see Christ flooding out of us. And we are to forgive even in those situations when it is so, so tough, almost seemingly impossible to do. If we have had such forgiveness showered upon us, why is it that we don't forgive? We hear the band, it is Remembrance Sunday today. And we remember all those who have died in the war that should have ended all wars. The First World War was a horrific war with so much life lost. Yet, years later... Our world goes to war a second time. Why? Because as humanity, we do not show mercy. As humanity, we want revenge for crimes committed against us, either individually or as a nation. We take justice into our own hands, just like the governor. But yet Jesus calls us to an overwhelming outrageous lifestyle of mercy and forgiveness. If we had such forgiveness showered upon us, why is it that we don't forgive? My list could continue, but I will stop there. I think you get my point. We are called to forgive. Unlimited, not seven times. Not 77 times, but However many times, and however many hurtful times that is, to forgive others. The final verse, in, sorry, I'll read the last two verses. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Jesus then says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. 
we should all, we should all be condemned. Yes, we are all. If you fall on your knees and repent that Christ is your Lord and repent of your sins, we are all forgiven. Fully. Yet, if we don't forgive others, we will not be forgiven. This is slightly earlier in Matthew. Jesus says this, but if you refuse to give, sorry, if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. That is really hard to hear. That is really hard to comprehend. Simon, you're saying that Jesus says that we are fully forgiven. Yes, we are. But there's a condition almost here. There's a condition. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. We are called to be like the King, our King, Jesus, and not the worldly governor. If it's helpful, close your eyes for this, or if not, just sort of meditate on this. I want you to rest just for a moment and draw to mind a situation that you are thinking about right now. That you think, as much as you're saying that, Simon, I just don't know how I can forgive that person or those persons. Draw that to mind. Give it to the Lord Jesus. Give that to him. Say, Lord, I am so thankful that you have fully forgiven me. Lord, soften my heart so that I can forgive this person or persons. Even though, even though it might be so incredibly hurtful might bring up so much pain, we still need to forgive. But yet, we know that Jesus is our comforter and Jesus is our Lord. So when we open that box that maybe we've been hiding inside of ourselves for so long, that hurt has been opened. Jesus is our comforter and healer. I said this was going to be tough, and it is tough. Can I invite the band up, please? Just stay in that sort of reflective posture for a moment. Do you need to know this morning that you are forgiven? Is that what's particularly struck you this morning? Do you need to know how much you are forgiven? Whatever, whatever you have done in the past, you, if you give it to the Lord Jesus, are fully, fully forgiven. Do you need, if you know that you're forgiven, to hear that stark 
voice of Jesus that says, if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Do you need this morning for the Lord to soften your heart in a particular situation? Is that what's particularly struck you this morning? Or generally, there might not be a sort of specific situation, but we might need to be asking the Lord, Lord, if and when that situation arises that is so hurtful and so painful, Lord, enable me to have a soft heart to forgive. If any of those particularly strike a chord with you this morning, there'll be people on the side here on your right that can pray with you. We're going to worship, stand if you wish, stay sitting if you wish. But this is a time to offer our praises to God, but also offer all that stuff that we've just talked about to our King, who has fully forgiven us.